I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. So Steph, my wife, was like, if you see someone like this with a one-off instant, if it's happened, and he went, and the specialist went, yeah, I have. And so it sounds like Steph sort of relaxed a bit. And she was like, oh, okay. He went, oh, no, no, Steph, she's de- he's dead. And she said, well, what do you mean? He went, it was a head-on car collision. He said, if you get that much damage in a one-off instant, you're dead. Welcome back to The Andy Rowe Show. In 2003, Steve Thompson was on top of the world. He'd just won the Rugby World Cup in Australia with England. Two years later, he'd play for the Lions in New Zealand. But he doesn't remember any of it and has been diagnosed with early-onset dementia. This is the story of a man who had it all, lost it all, and is now fighting to make the game safer for everyone. I hope you enjoy the episode. You know I read a lot of books for this podcast. One particular book I read talked about nutrition and making sure that the first thing you put into your body when you wake up is packed full of nutrients. So we've brought on Athletic Greens who are helping bring you Season 3 of The Andy Rowe Show. And you can get yourself some by visiting athleticgreens.com forward slash Andy. The link is in the synopsis for this episode. And I've actually started taking AG1 by Athletic Greens. One scoop of it contains 75 vitamins, minerals, superfoods, and probiotics designed to efficiently absorb into your body. I was taking a multivitamin and a probiotic, but I've stopped. And just take AG1 every morning when I get up. This stuff has everything that I need. And I travel a lot with work as well. So AG1 is perfect for making sure that I'm still healthy when my routine is all over the shop. Honestly, my energy levels have gone through the roof and I feel like I'm thinking a lot clearer now as well. And to make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com forward slash Andy. Again, that's athleticgreens.com forward slash Andy to take ownership over your health and pick the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. Steve Thompson, thank you very much for coming on the show, mate. Uh, thanks for having me. Tell me about speed roller skating, because that's a thing that not many people would know about. I've only done it for about a year or a bit, and we used to do the competitions on the bank tracks. And uh, yeah, I did it for a year, year and a bit, and became British champion. Um, and That's becomes, outrageous. And then second, second in the Euros, ended up going over somewhere in Belgium or something. Because you're football and basketball growing up, weren't you? Yeah, anything really. Just one of these kids in the streets that you know when Wimbledon, on, you start playing tennis in the street, or you kick yeah. the ball against someone's wall, kicking it in the back gardens, or yeah. You know, in those days, you know, <clears throat> you just become annoying to people, don't you? Because there's loads of you just playing football against the side of someone's house, and you yeah. think now if you just imagine that constant bang of a ball going against the side of your house, you wouldn't be happy. But we used to just keep doing it anyway. Blowing up dog shit boxes. Yeah. Tell me about that, because that... I know, yeah. Well, the area we were in was really like quite a bad area. You know, you have the police helicopter coming over regularly and that, and stolen cars burned out in the fields, and lads that we knew were always being chased by police and all this sort of stuff, and we'd mm. be playing sport around them, really. 
So we didn't think we were doing that bad. And, you know, we at one stage went through egging people's conservatories and stuff cause, just because we were arseholes, to be honest. Um, but we thought we were good arseholes because we weren't getting in trouble with the police. Um, and then, yeah, the dog shit bins just came in. So it was like, right, what can we do? So we've done it with aerosol cans. And then another time I've done it with one of those little camping gas bottles. And I think that sort of scared us because that really did go. Um, so that was something that we didn't do again after that. <clears throat> I think we were like the likeable rogues and stuff, not too bad. We've done stuff like that, but other than that, we you know we were quite good in the area compared to others. Because yeah, I remember when I was a kid, I used to, me and my brothers used to get like buckets of mud and sand on the side of the road and just heff it at cars cruising past at 100 k's an hour. Like, and you look you, at the time, it's just a bit of fun, but yeah, you look back it's and you're like, dangerous now, yeah, just stupid. Like, and I remember we used to hang over the bridge and like just sort of spit a little bit onto the cyclists as they went and it was a high bridge and see if you can hit them and once we hit one and he must have been an olympic athlete because by the time and it was like the big banks on the side of a road yeah and by the time we'd run like 20 meters to the edge of the he'd got off his bike and run up the hill as well with his bike on the shoulder <laughs> and and then we were just running back it was one of them running back and forth trying to lose him and in the end he lost just we managed to get in the woods and get away and yeah. you know you just think to yourself you know just idiots you know what I mean? yeah just going back to that actually so where you grew up because that's quite an important part of your story i think is like the the house that you grew up in well, it's just what you know we just sort of done what we wanted really i done what i wanted going out and and when i speak to other people you know i used to have dinner around a lot of other people's houses he's one of them you could go out at seven in the morning come mm. back at nine ten at night sometimes and we just do what you wanted and that was at a young age eight nine mm. i was doing a milk round when I was, I think it worked, I was, about, I was in middle school at the time, so I was about 10. So I was going out before school, getting picked up at five. I can remember sitting there and you just get that, you hear that, mm, you think, oh God, he's turned up. And then I have to get on the milk float and I'll go and help him deliver the milk, get back. And then you got that disgusting smell of milk on your hands and that. But we just done what we wanted really. And just, you know, when, when we wanted to pull up a building site, we go and play up the building site. And you look at it now and, you know, I've got my kids now and I'll just want to look after them and cuddle them and make sure they're safe. Whereas then... You never got that? No, no, they weren't really a cuddly family or a nice family or anything like that, like as such. And it was just, just the way it was. And it was funny because I've got friends now I knew then and they were like, God, we wish we sort of came from your house because you could do what you wanted. But now they look at, at that time they wanted that. And now they've looked back and they're like, thank God we had the parents we did. So then we've actually sort of looked after ourselves and they've you know, been brought up properly. So, yeah, you know, a lot of people's parents I, I know now, they was like, oh, we knew you were a bit, a bit naughty and stuff, but we always knew you'd look after our kids and we knew that you were always respectful. Like, I'd go in and I'd always clean up because in the house I was in, I'd, as soon as I come in from school, I'd have to clean the house. And that's what you'd done. We had to do the cleaning and stuff mm. like that. And whenever I was around anyone's house, the parents say, oh, you had immaculate manners. And if anything, you used to help us clear up the house and stuff like that. And they said, at first, we just thought you were trying to win us over. And then we realised that's just the way you are. When you started playing rugby, was it almost like a the structure you needed as a, as a young kid? Was there like a fatherly figure there and a coach? No, there's, yeah, there's, yeah, there was a Keith Picton who's mentioned in the book. He was just phenomenal for me. You know, once again, he knew I was a bit of a, a live wire as such. Because your old man wasn't around pretty much. No, 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 he wasn't. No, and um, I sort of speak to him a bit now, um, but it's a bit hard, you know, after so many years. Like he's not, you know, it's not going to be a sort of dad figure as such, but it's, so it's quite hard, but, you know, he's, he's, he's good. He speaks to my kids and stuff and that. And, um, and then I got kicked out of home as well, so I was sort of living by myself really. And he sort of really taught me the way of the world as such, and the way you you know you should respect 
and stuff. And you, I, I got that from rugby. You know, I could never understand when you first get into rugby how you're tackling each other, you're knocking out of each other, and then the final whistle goes, and you clap each other off, and you shake hands, and you go and have a beer. And it's a bit like at first I didn't have the mentality to handle that, and it was Keith Picton that taught me like, no, no, this is what you do. You know, this is. It's the way you do. And then, then afterwards, you have a, in the bar afterwards, you have a, oh, next time I'll get you and all this mm. stuff. But there's none of that chip on your shoulder, carry it on. But then as soon as that, the whistle kicks off, gloves are off and you just do what you have to do to win. Let's get straight to your debut for England. You were playing against Scotland, weren't you? Can you remember any of that? No. What do you remember of like becoming a Test rugby player? So, I can remember... Up to about 2000, and I made my debut in 2002. And like this year, I went up to Murrayfield, and that's where I, and it was 20 years that week that I made the debut. But it was like I was going to Murrayfield for the first time ever. And it was like, so I'm sat there in the in stand, it was one of the lads I was with. He was like, Oh, you, you made your, you were here like 20 years ago. This is where you made your tech. And I was just like, But it was weird because I'm sat there looking around. I thought, Oh, it's because it's quite a nice stadium, the colours and stuff. Yeah, it's and beautiful, it's, yeah. And it was just, even I didn't know where it was in Edinburgh or anything. I didn't have a clue where it was. I don't know, it's a weird feeling when you you sat there and you're looking at stands and looking at a pitch and stuff and you just don't know. It's You know, I went to Twickenham and you look at the pitch and it's like, I just can't remember being on that pitch. And I try and remember and it's just it's just not there. In that period of time, there's just there's just nothing there and everyone's getting me to re-watch the World Cup final. There's no goosebumps, there's no feeling, there's no like... Oh, there's me. There's like there's a bloke with a big head like mine that's on there, but it's just like I'm watching England now. There's not. It's not like oh, that's me. There's, you know, it's weird. It's I get nothing. And doing the documentary, I had to phone my friends because I didn't know where my World Cup medal was or my MBE or anything like my fiftieth cap. And one of my mates, Simon Heifer, he um, what, what was that? One of your mates, Simon Heifer, you were looking for yeah, this stuff. Yeah, sorry, he. And he said, oh, I've got a bag of yours, I think, in my garage. I went there, and that's where it was all just in his garage. It's like the medal's all, like, rusty, the, everything's, and it's just shirts in there. And there's, like, there's a, a cup final I played for the Saints at Twickenham, and I think it's called the Power Gen Cup or something. And I didn't even know I paid. I was just like, and it was a shirt with a print on it, like, with my name on the back of the shirt. And it's like, oh, so I was, looked at it, I was like, so they'll play in the final then? He's like, yeah, you played in the final in 2004 or whatever it was, in 2005, something like that. And I was just like, all oh, right, I just didn't know. So I've got the shirt, but I just no memory to go with it. And it's just bizarre because I just feel like a phony, like when people talk to me. And I hate the point where, because people go about the World Cup, oh, you, you must have loved that time. And sometimes I'm like, yeah, yeah, it was amazing. But I'm not, I'm just saying it to say. It's easier. I, I don't, yeah, I don't, and I don't want to come over as being an arsehole. Mm. Like, and, and like someone going, oh, he's too arrogant, he don't yeah. want to speak to me. Yeah. I, I'd, I'd hate to do that. But then on the other hand, it's like I, I'm having to argue myself just to answer that question because it's, I'm an arsehole if I turn around and say, oh, sorry, man, I don't know what you're going on about. And then I'm an arsehole if I'm lying to him as well. Mm. So it's like a, that's how I feel. I just feel like, so a lot of the time you just, I try and sort of hide away from it and that really. It's weird. So now I'm trying not to think about the past as much. Now I've got the kids and, and you can waste a lot of energy thinking about, oh, why can't I remember this? Why can't I do it? Yeah, so it's like, because, you know, there's a there's a lady called Dawn Astle and her dad was Jeff Astle, the famous footballer that played for West Brom in England. Are you talking uh, to a Kiwi here? No, but he's the first one that was diagnosed right. and died of CTE in the ah, UK. Yeah, it's in your book. So I was, when you get diagnosed and you're trying to understand it, I couldn't understand, I'm like, it's really weird and, when I pledged my brain with the Concussion Legacy Foundation, they 
So you pledged your brain. So when you die, die they have my brain. They have your brain, yeah. and they can examine yeah, it exactly. And I think for, for what I'm doing, it's only right that I do that. And it's it's my decision, but really, it's Steph's decision. Steph's wife, wife, because she can still say no, or she can, you know, stuff. So I had to sort of get her blessing as well, and she's totally behind it and stuff like that. Because um, she always says there's not much there anyway. Do you know what I mean? So it's the, it's only a small one. It's a fucking massive one. No, no, the head's big. It's probably <laughs> the, the peanut inside. Do you know what I mean? It's like, yeah. And, and I said to Dawn, I said, I don't understand. I said, because, you know, it was, when I first get Dino, it was all about the World Cup. And suddenly the Lions tour happened last year or whenever. Next minute I'm thinking, and one of my went, oh, you went on Lions tour. And I was like, did I? He's like, yeah, in 2005, you were on the Lions tour. And I was like, oh. Right. So then suddenly, then then I can remember breaking down one time because I what on with all this social media stuff. There's like a shirt presentation of the night before a test. So I I started start thinking I must have gone through that because I played the test couple of tests for the line. So I must have had a shirt presentation similar to that. And I've got no I've got no I've got no shirts. I don't know where they all are. I've got no memory of that as well. So that so there's everything when we broke the story was about the World Cup. But then there's suddenly so much more that's just not there. And it's and so that and that's why after a while I just stopped thinking about the past. But then when I said to Dawn, I said, it's really weird though. I said, because my young age, when I was a kid, it's becoming clearer. And I'm getting the massive nostalgia of the 70s and 80s. Music, cars. I just want a Ford Capri. I don't know why. I just want a, or a Cortina. That's all I want. They're probably just coming out in New Zealand now, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the streets are full of them. Yeah. But, you know, it's for me, it's like... And and I said, and she said, and then she gave me this um, picture, and it's four different types of bookshelves. It's a bookshelf yeah. analogy. It's a great analogy. And, you know, that, and straight away, I, I just got it. Boom. And then, yeah. so my early books are all in order. The middle bit's not. And the worst thing for me at the moment is I can go into a meeting. I can go into this. So I'm talking fine like this, and then I can walk out, and Steph will go, oh, "What do you talk about?" And I'll go, "Not a clue." And this is, and this is why Steph, bless her, she gets. Not frustrated because because I'll rest like yesterday. I rested for this. Like last night, I had a good night's sleep, and I get I prepare, and then suddenly I'll go home after, and then I'm exhausted, and she gets the exhausted part of me, and then I have to sort of boot myself up for yeah. for the next interview and stuff. But a lot of people don't see me fall apart as as such and stuff, and you know, so it's but it's that's how we've we've learned about how we how I sort of guide my life and get through it and make my life better for me and my, my kids. At the moment, obviously, because of the book and everything like that, it's been this next couple of days of mental. But I know I've got to get through that and then suddenly then I can look, there's a rest period coming. I want to ask you a couple of things about the World Cup. So can't, uh, reading your book, I wasn't sure what if you remembered some of it. Do you remember the play leading up to Johnny Wilkinson's drop goal? I don't even remember having a coffee in Australia. Really? No. You don't remember having a You don't even remember being in Australia? No. There's there's like nearly ten years of my life, and it's it's literally like it never happened. Like li- like in Northampton, it's just not there. And the way they've because I couldn't, I was like, can I get it back? And this is what I was saying to the specialist. He said, no. He said, problem is in that period of your career, your brain would have been so inflamed. It's like you've you're a camera with no SD card in. So you're there. People would have seen your behaviours changing. And when I speak to people, I know they said you were like I was up and down I was going for and it was all this what was going on and then so there's just and it's the part of my brain that's damaged is the memory and like the emotion side of it and stuff and that's what's so it's not like, like literally that's what I mean so I bump into people like that period that I've spent times playing with and I don't even know what what's going on and is it the same with the 2005 Lions tour you don't remember anything not even there 
Shit. I didn't even remember you went on it. But you look at that that period of time, I never had any time off from playing or training yeah. or anything. I just went through, 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 and that's that's the thing. You just went through. 2011 World Cup, you must remember something about that, being yeah. in New Zealand. I mean, what, how, how good was Queenstown? Well, I, yeah, good. <laughs> I, met, I met Steph there at the end in Auckland, so we're married now, so that's good. So that was a good thing that came out of it. Queenstown was good. Can you remember what went down in Queenstown? Can we have a laugh about that? No comment. Not? You're not even allowed to talk about <laughs> yeah, it Yeah, you can, you can. <laughs> No, because the press, the press were all over you guys. It was, but the Irish boys had been there the week before, and and apparently were, were really bad. And that's so we thought we'd just tone it down a bit and we'd be all right, but obviously we weren't. So sure. then, what yeah. was the fallout like that from? Did you just guys get? It was more the fallout afterwards, the media, because we have to do media like every every day. There was media, and yeah. it wasn't just because of that. It's just because of the World Cup. Yeah. So it was just like, and I was, I just put my head down and just sort of away from it really I was there and knowing that was probably going to be my last World Cup and stuff because of my age and stuff obviously then we uh... you went to Waiheke <laughs> yeah and the, do you know the whole point of going to Waiheke Island was... so, so if someone's listening to this and Waiheke Islands it's a beautiful beautiful it island was. with, with um, vineyards and stuff yeah. you go wine tasting and it's about you're in the city in Auckland and you jump onto this ferry and then in 15 minutes half an hour you're in this tropical island it's mm. crazy well, so what it was, we had the, on the way out, and, and we didn't even go mad there, because the whole point was, let's get out of Auckland so we don't get into trouble. And that's what it was. It was yeah. like, end of the tournament. So we went over there, and it was like, right, let's go and have a real nice lunch, a couple of wines, and that'd be fine. So we did. We went there, and, we, and like we said, we weren't even one of these wine tasting, went, oh, we're not spitting in the bucket, we're going to swallow it all, and all. It wasn't like that at all. We just sat there. It was beautiful. And then... One of those sort of conversations because the ferry is a big, com- a big thing like um, like a P and O ferry, like a massive one between Dover and Calais. And then the conversation came of, "Oh, can you jump off?" And then you know he's just like, so we're not even thinking of it. And then suddenly you have got Manu Tuolangi just chatting and putting on a bit of a show, and he's got his tattoos, showing people his tattoos, and everything's fine. Everyone's having a laugh. Next minute you hear, "I'm going to jump," and it's like, no. And I, I, <laughs> I can remember just turning around and said, "Manu, you were not going to jump." One, you haven't got the balls to jump. And two, you can't swim that well. And literally, as we're coming into port, he jumps off. Because I'm there with my head down. And as I look up, um, what's his name? Deacon. It was Deacon. I've looked up because I've heard a big cheer. And there's like a his face of disbelief. And he's just there going. And I've just gone, oh, shit. And Manu's jumped in. I managed. To, I was one of the first to get off the boat. So I came running down and... By that time, he's sort of been arrested. And he's a young lad, you know, we should have looked after him more, I think. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. He's one of them. I, didn't, I just didn't think he'd, he'd do it. And, you know, one of the senior players, you've got to look at yourself and think, you know, perhaps I could have done more to you know, handcuff him, perhaps. But he was that strong, he probably taken me with him. But, um, yeah, I had to go up to the police station. I brought him a load of coffee and cakes and stuff. And said, you brought the police? Yeah. Is there any chance in getting him out a little bit early so we can get home sort of thing? So oh, they, you got, they were good. Because you had a plan to catch. Yeah, so they, and they were quite good about it, I must admit. But, you know, obviously it was in front of everyone. Was part of the, the, the village, World Cup village, was right next to it, so everyone turned around <laughs> yeah. to see it. And But, you know, it's, it's one of those... One afternoon, though, when we were in Queenstown, they all went and done bungee jumping and stuff like that. And I was that sort of age thinking, if I bungee jump, Christ, my leg would probably hit with pop or something like that. You yeah. know? So it was one of them that... So, you know, it's... You went for a motorbike ride. Yeah, but that's what... Things like that, you know. And then Brian Moore jumps on the back of that and I just thought he was a complete bell end for doing that because everyone... Oh, the, the way... It's, oh, that motorbike can do 130 mile an hour. It's like, no, I didn't. 30, 40 mile an hour. Just this shit and it'd be lovely. Next minute, 
he gets hold of that and suddenly it's a massive, oh, it's disgusting. I can't believe they're doing that. And they're doing, it's like, hang on a minute. Like, do you know what I mean? If we we're going motorbike crossing and doing jumps and all that sort of stuff, I could understand. But it wasn't, you know, even like in training, lads play five-side football and that. And how many injuries come out of that? We were just on a simple motorbike, not driving like idiots, just literally going out and, and, and enjoying a bit of time away from it all. Jesus. So then you you had a um, you had your second neck injury because you had a neck injury mm. before mm. the 2011 World Cup. You thought that was the end. Mm. You over and breathe, and then you made a, you made your comeback, and you had your second neck injury, which ended your tournament. Um, no, no. ended your career. Yeah, right? yeah. I just injured it trying to hit a scrummage machine, and then it went in the in the match on the Friday, I think it was, and then it was just just knew my arm went a bit weak and stuff, and I just thought right, and it was a totally different injury to the first one, totally different. And then, yeah, that was a shame because I just signed a new three-year deal to be at Wasps and I was really looking forward to that because it was like, right, sign a three-year deal, might not be involved in England. And, you know, you look at a lot of players that finish international rugby, they sort of have two really good years of not worrying about international rugby and they just play some of their best club rugby. And I was really looking forward to going to a club like Wasps and doing that. And I, I actually signed on the back of Sean Edwards. I signed on the back of him being there and Joe Worsley, and then suddenly Joe Worsley retired the week after I signed, and Sean Edwards left. Either Joe Worsley got himself injured on purpose, and then Sean Edwards left because of me as well. But I signed <laughs> purely on the back of him being there, and he he left. So he was known for looking after the older players and getting the best out of them. And I just thought, do you know what? I want to go and have three really enjoyable years. But I think literally week, two weeks into that, I got injured. Oh, God. And then I left, left the bar. And I just met Steph at the 2011 World Cup, so... And then I just went, saw this, and I just wanted to get away from everything and move to Dubai. What were you doing in Dubai? At first, uh, not a lot. Um, but then I met uh, Mike McGeever, who's still one of my best mates. And I really wish I'd have met him earlier, to be honest, because he's he, he hates me saying it. He's like my dad, but he's like only 16 years older than me, and he's from the north. So I said, you could have quite easily, but I could have quite easily been your child with that age difference. But um, <laughs> no, he's just been brilliant for me. And um, so I met him, and then he got me into, I went back into construction, like he had joinery factories he had a big manpower company um so I got into the construction world out there and, and I was doing really well and really enjoying it and um I didn't really know didn't know about the head and didn't know it was going to catch up you know whereas people now because we've come out this whole point of us coming out is we can help people look for a signs I was really sociable when I went out there and that was you know going out and looking after clients doing stuff but then suddenly it was I was getting less and less sociable I was going into meetings literally coming out of the meeting not a clue what was going on and I was dealing with like the MEP, the conjoinery. So we're going in anything from a shell and core building, 55-storey building. So, you know, some big contracts going on there. And at first I could come out and talk about it. And then there I was just like... Um, God, where was I then? At first you could come out and talk about it and then... Yeah, and then I'll come out of the meetings. Uh, suddenly I was just thinking, what has gone on there? And it just knocked... And then so I started lying and trying to get people to come along with me, even when they didn't, because I knew that could cover me. And then by the end of it, I just stopped going to meetings. And then um, we were, oh Christ, sorry. You were taking people to meetings with you. They were remembering everything yeah. for you. And I was, I was then, then that's like the mood started getting a bit like tired. And then I'm socialising. My wife would say like, we go to like house parties over there that you go to and stuff. And I just like sit in the corner or I just wouldn't go at all. And, and she just found it hard and so she's found it hard to sort of motivate me and get me going. So then that all came to a, an abrupt end in Dubai because if you're not working properly, suddenly you don't have a job. And if you don't have a job, you can't live there and that because you've got to have your permits and all this sort of stuff. So then we went to Cyprus and then I literally just sort of practically sat in the garden for two years or year and a half, two years, I think it is, literally in a massive depression. 
and that was like the depression was just horrendous at times and thank god Steph stayed, stayed with me to be honest and you know and the kids as well and then I sort of just hit a wall financially and everything that's why one of the reasons we came back to the UK and just to try and get out of the rut that I was on there wasn't it another former player that got you to get your head checked for no, Alex Popham Popham so oh, Alex Popham yeah and he's been he's been phenomenal like all the way through this like he's the the one really so who's who's me. Alex Popham Played for Wales, right? Yeah. And in France, when we were brave. You know, he's he's been brilliant in this. And he, I was on the tools then, so COVID was on, and I was working. I went and Steph said it's been ready to pop the question. The jewelers at Blue dot com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The happiest I've, I've been in a long while. So I went from being like on the board of companies and all this to working on on site and I was doing that in COVID it was brilliant and um Steph was like that's the happiest she'd see me because suddenly I'm there I'm not having to think about it I'm not having to lie but then I spoke to Alex I remember I was in the middle of a field like like that bloody cows around me and everything like that because <laughs> the farmers just leave, leave him out he, he phoned me and he started like explaining himself like oh, I'm going through like my memory problems and he started like and it's everything he was explaining I was just thinking you just talking about me here like and and he said look I think the way you used to play he said I think you're gonna go you might have similar to what I've got and I was like and nothing was talked about the case nothing was talked about that he, he said look why don't you get you go and get yourself checked so I said yeah fine so I said so I went and suddenly that was it and then say we had to go and get a couple of tools I'd walk 50 meters get there and suddenly think what am I here for? And just not like literally and I'd only have to remember two or three but it just there was then I started having to like write on my phone to walk that just what I needed so stuff like or I'd be shouting out to them they'd be like God what is wrong with you like mm, like this and just yeah. like I was saying when I was playing so you had that and you stopped when you're 22 I kept playing through that exactly and yeah. that's why that's why it just got worse and worse and then why the memories just it's just wiped the memory bank why didn't you ever stop like surely you had headache they just give you pills to go on and just say thank god it's not your hamstring because you couldn't play if you had a pulled hamstring and that's that's the big thing in that period of time it was just Oh, it's, you're lucky it's your head. And literally, you're talking to other lads around at that time. They just lads were just constantly getting pills, like off the doctors, and just and you would you just get used to it. You get used to that battered feeling, just probably like a cloud, a constant cloud. And you see, like lads, their emotions, their behaving, training, everything like that, just going up and down purely because of what was going from through with their brain. So they've they've talked about it. Look, the sub-concussions are the problem, and they're looking at eighty to 100,000 sub-concussions, at least, that we've we've had during our rugby careers. Sometimes you do contact on the Monday in training, and if you lost, you probably definitely would do. <laughs> then Tuesday morning would, would be like yeah. full metal jacket. Then you do the same in the afternoon. 
same Wednesday morning, same Wednesday afternoon, because it'd be like a tack day. Thursday, you'd have off. Friday, we captain's run, so you probably wouldn't do any contact. Play Saturday. Sunday recovery. And you're talking about you're a hooker. You are right in the mixer. Mm. You never got... St- well, your head, there was no acknowledgement of head injuries. There wasn't. If you were... Because we you, got the three-week stand down in New Zealand. If you, like, I remember when I was like six or seven and I got knocked out. Well, they've three. changed that in here now over the last 10 years, I think it is. It's six days for professionals. Why, why would it be... Why would you not go, what, well, you can definitely have the next week off? You know, why is rugby league, why is, I think, Australian rules, I think now, it's yeah. massive under spotlight like us... Have gone to twelve days now already. When this was three weeks before, but they've still, but still, rugby now is rugby union is six days. Oh, I think it's if someone's got a tight calf, they won't train. No, they won't train, and they won't they won't play if the tight. If, if because like, physically, they're not going to be as useful with a tight calf, but with a head injury, it doesn't matter. You can be physically as useful to the team. But you, I, you got more chance of getting injuries when you're under concussion. Yeah, they're saying now they're proven because. Your body won't work properly, so that's you. You got a good chance of getting injured, injuring other parts of your body as well. There was an interesting thing that you talk about with the the test that you got that shows. Can you tell me about the test that shows that you've got physical brain damage? Because yeah. that's something that you make a good point in your book about. It should be brought in as a standard thing. Yeah, for rugby, right? Yeah, yeah. I think you should. Everyone should like have a baseline brain scan. And then you can see the damage, and then suddenly, if someone does get a concussion, a bad, they can go in for the scan. And people say, "Oh, it's so expensive to do that." If someone has a, a teared hamstring, they'll go and scan them for that. So why on earth would you not do something for someone's brain? You know, and if you got a baseline, then you can see if there is damage happening. And every year, players should have MOTs, or at least every two years, unless they've had like a war on a fitness. Yeah, say, exactly. Yeah, you should yeah. do like you know, in France, they have heart. Scans every year, yeah. They have to have heart scans and stuff. They like have that. no trouble spending money on blood tests, yeah. So, tell me about that test that they did and like what it showed in your, your particular case. So, when the scan, there's like a well, the way that is it an MRI? It's different, no, it's like it? a DTI, so it's an MRI machine, sort of thing, but it's a DTI, it's a lot more um detailed, apparently. But right. so, when you go in there, and this is what makes me laugh about the MRI, um, what is it? What did I just say, man? The DTI, it's. it's like you go in, to, it's like a coffin, isn't it? You have, you have one, so you go in. But this one, you lay down, and it's got like a plastic thing on the back of your head, and then they put the mask over your face, and then they screw it down. So you're screwed in. And they say to me, can you please not touch the sides? But what the funny, from that noise, that... I just go to sleep. And I think it was... I'm sure it's like about two hours long, this DTI scan. For bits, you have to be awake. So they turned around to me and said, oh, Steve, can you wake up for this bit? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And before I joked about, don't worry, I'll be asleep within five minutes. And they laughed and then suddenly went, no. And they started laughing over that you are asleep. They said, no, you, you need to be awake for this next seven minutes, please. And then suddenly, Steve, you're falling asleep again. And, so, and that's with me. I think because I was tired and I was nervous and everything like that, just kept falling asleep constantly. Yeah. And um, that was like when I started getting my panic attacks as well with travelling. I can remember going on the underground and I kept getting off this, each station. And I had it on my phone, but I just kept panicking. I'm, I've got to get off this station. And it's just things like that are happening to me a lot at the moment as well. It's like these sort of, I get quick panic attacks like, and I just don't like being around people and like travel sort of getting to me a bit more now. What did the actual scan show as far as the extent of the damage? Because you mentioned in your book, you liken it to someone that's been in a car crash. Yeah, so when we we got results off the um, specialist, it was all because of COVID, it was over the phone. Obviously, they sent the scans through, so Steph and I looking at it on the phone, and he said, 
he said, look, just so you know, if there's a pinprick of yellow on this scan, that's a significant brain injury. And on this, it was like, and he says, where the yellow is, it's like it's dead. That, that's like damaged cells and all that. And like you've got the brains, that, and then through the middle of it, it's like a slug. And then there's other bits on the other scans coming down the sides. And so Steph, my wife, was like, if you see someone like this with a one-off instant of it's happened, and he went, and the, the specialist went, yeah, I have. And so it sounds like Steph sort of, relaxed a bit and she was like oh okay he went oh no no Steph she's dead he's dead and she said well, what do you mean he went it was a head-on car collision he said if you get that much damage in a one-off instant you're dead and we said well so what's and of course straight away I was just like well so what's the difference what's happened and that's when they do they explain to us about this sub-concussions and the way like the 80,000 to 100,000 sub-concussions so say I got hold of your shoulder on your arm and I just kept hitting it with my finger 80,000 times that part of your arm would die because it's happened happened over a number of t- over a m- number of time it's your arm would learn to work around that so your arm would still work not as well but it would learn your muscles would be able to guide it and move it and stuff right whereas if, if it was like one big smash your arm would just not work because it would be like that and that's what's happened to the brain and that's why the memory's gone and everything and and my, like the emotions all side and, and stuff like that is the brain learns to rewire itself, but it won't work the same. So you, this is where you, in the NFL players and stuff, you, you're about personality changes and stuff like that. And that's why you get a lot of this suicide. You're getting all that. You're getting this. And for me now, you know, I've started working with a company called Medigold. I'm looking at brain injuries with them because a lot of people talk about mental health problems and stuff. And, and I used to think people with mental health problems were weak. I'll put me out, I did. Yeah, and then they talk about happy pills and all this, like when we were younger, oh God, someone's mum was on happy pills and she used to walk around like a zombie and stuff like that. And, and I used to just think, oh, what's that all about and all this? And now with my trouble, like I've gone, on, I've gone on pills now and just to try and level me out and try and help me be a better dad and a, a better person with my friends and stuff rather than someone that's so up and down and erratic because it's tiring and it's hard. Because I've seen the scans and I know it's a brain injury, I can cope with that because it's like, I've got something wrong with me. That's something I need to battle. I need to go against that. But it's I can see it. I believe a lot of people out there now have got brain injuries and they don't know. So a lot of people this time of the year go skiing. So when they're skiing, they'll fall over, hit their head. Won't think anything of it. They'll go to the bar later on, have a couple of drinks. Three, four weeks down the line, suddenly the personality might start changing a little bit. The memories might start playing up a little bit. They've got a brain injury. Suddenly their emotions start playing around. And that can keep going on unless you can help get rid of the inflammation and you know you would never even put that down to that instant a lot of people have played amateur sport a lot of rugby you know amateur players they've banged their heads hundreds of times thousands of times over the years suddenly they've got this problem and this is what people have got to be made aware of now you know even at junior club rugby you know you see you see rugby and it's it's not like it used to be you know even young kids tag rugby you know it's when you when we used to how old are you now 38. 38, so you're not mm. much different than me. Sorry about the interruption. Coming up next week, we're speaking to the Coffin Confessor. Bill Edgar makes a living from crashing people's funerals on behalf of the deceased. He said, look, at my funeral, he says, I want you to interrupt it about halfway through my best mate's eulogy. And I'm like, what, just get up and fucking stop it? He goes, yeah, yeah, that's what I want you to do. I said, okay. I said, what do we do then? And he goes... 
well, I want you to say this, this, and this. And I said, okay, well, how about what we do is you write it, you sign it, and then I'll put it in an envelope and I'll pull it out of the envelope and I'll read it to the congregation. How's that? And he's like, yeah, yeah, let's do that. Graham said to me, if, only if my brother, his wife, and their niece, and his niece, their daughter, is at my funeral, I want you to ask them to stand up and tell them to fuck off. I haven't seen them in 30 years. I don't know why they're at my funeral paying respects now, so they shouldn't be fucking there. I said, no worries, Graham, it's your funeral. So here I am sitting amongst family and friends at the fucking funeral. Best mate's got crocodile tears and he's telling yarns about Graham and him on these adventures, how nice he is, loves his best mate. I'm looking at the fucking phone at the clock because <laughs> I knew I, I was about two minutes in I had to stand up and I'm looking at the clock and I set it for that two minutes and it's coming up and I'm sweating and I'm like oh fuck I'm gonna do this so all of a sudden I just stand up and I go excuse me my name's Bill Edgar mate you can sit down shut up or fuck off the man in the coffin's got something to say and this is what it is that's coming up next week now back to Steve Thompson when you just go around the junior club and they're playing touch rugby it's like Flies around shit, and you got the ball, and they're all running around. They're loving it, and yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah, yeah. Not, you know, a, you go down to a junior club now. It's all about a defensive line, stay in line. They're playing tag rugby. Break the line. You're going to find the weakness and go through that. And they're talking, and that's it's touch rugby. Yeah. What do you want to change there? Well, even tackle rugby. Like I think it's 12 years old. I think here now. What you when when. We were younger. There wasn't that organisation. So these these kids that are coming all the way through now are going to make hundreds of more, thousands of more tackles, yeah, and stuff like that than a twelve year old did twenty years ago. Because everything's so much more organised. There's no fun. There's not as much fun in it anymore. I think sometimes with rugby, and I don't want to put it down. Sometimes people get put in a box when they first start playing junior rugby, and they're Absolutely, a prop yeah. forever. Yeah, yeah. So their whole skill set is a prop. What do you do? But then all of a sudden he gets into the gym or she gets into the gym when they're 12, 13, 14, which happened into fitness. Mm. Suddenly they slimmed up, but they've got no skill set. Yeah, your body changes a lot between even, even late teens. Late so teens, it's all yeah. like a natural change, but then suddenly they've got no skill. So why don't they play keep ball? Well, it's not just about passing the ball backwards. And at first everyone's going to go, oh, this is it's nothing to do with rugby. But it is. It's about spatial awareness. Yeah. When do you think people should be allowed to play full noise tackle rugby? I've seen studies from New Zealand with these gum shields from under 12s and it was horrific. What kind of studies? Like the gum shield studies. So they can see the force that's going through ah, their head. Right, 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 yeah. It's horrendous. Oh, yeah. My kids won't go near a tackle for a long while until, what is it, Dr. Amala Mulu, the one from Concussion, the film Concussion. He, says, he said, why other kids are out damaging their brain my child at the same age is out using his brain. People will say, oh, well, in my day I've done that. Rugby is a totally different game now than it was 10, 20, 30 years ago. And this is the problem. You, know, you get a lot of people that look at it and they go, well, you know, it wasn't in junior rugby, wasn't that? It was quite, but now it's more organised. There's no space to run into. Like, it used to be an avoidance game. Now it's a collision game. And it is, and they're making. It is. That. It's about winning the contact, and that, and they're making that from touch rugby by having this defensive line. That they'll say, right, run straight into the line, and what we'll do, we'll go really quickly, and we'll pierce the defensive line. And this is the sort of language they're using. It's all about breaking the line, and mm. once you, 
you know, and, and you can see why people sort of drop out of it as well. And it's a shame because it's such a good game. And also, when you, you look at junior club rugby, you've got your clubs that are paying players in these like lower leagues that I just think shouldn't happen, to be honest. So, and then you've got your lads that are your gym bunnies that are fit as anything, doing their CrossFit. And then you've got your bloke that works in the office that just wants to have a laugh on a Saturday, but he just so happens to be quite a good rugby player. And then suddenly they come together. This is why there's, there seems to be a lot more injuries right? because of, of that. And it's even at that level, at junior club level, they're videoing games. And I'm the first one when I, when I go there at the junior club up near me, Winnington, um, and they don't pay players, which I think is brilliant. But still, like, and then they started, I started doing some coaching with them. And they said, I was, right, we could do this. And suddenly I thought, lads don't want that. You know, a fat proper on the weekend, he wants to tell everyone in the change, in the change room and in the bar afterwards, I made 15 tackles today. Did you see that amazing run that I've made 50 metres? And then he don't want them to turn around and go, hang on a minute. We videoed the whole game. No, you didn't. You made two tackles. You fell on your ass. <laughs> so then all of a sudden, like that fun yeah, element yeah, of yeah. it, the is storytelling gone. is out. Yeah, it's gone. So the thing is, the, the it's people that are playing junior club rugby shrinking massively because it's become so professional. So what age do you think we should be playing full noise rugby? I'm 15, up. 16? Yeah, I, 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 I don't want to put my, my names, but like 16 and that. Yeah, I think, yeah. I think 12 and so. And I don't get me wrong, kids are going to hate me for it. And I, trust me, when, when we first came out, I had women calling me a fucking and all this sort yeah, of stuff. Yeah, it sounds quite health and safety though, doesn't it? Yeah, no, but they would like, you've ruined my kid's life. You've, I used to respect yeah. you. And, and this is like women messaging me on, I'm here trying to say that there's a there's reasons here behind this and yeah. we can see that people are getting injured but it's it's fine you think what you want and what I liked it's changed quite quickly because they've suddenly started seeing that this is a massive massive problem mm. and I had a bloke the other week and it was really nice because he was said to me so Steve like I, I'd just like to thank you I said, wasn't, wasn't he said my son got knocked out three weeks ago and he said if, if you lot hadn't talked about it he said he would have played the week after Hundred really? percent would have played. He said he would have played because we were arguing if he'd been knocked over, knocked out, and he said he hadn't. And some of the parents sort of thought they saw it, but mm. we weren't quite sure. And because of this, because everyone's being over cautious, they said we dragged him off, and then he had to have three weeks off. And he said towards the end of his third week, he started showing signs of his concussion. So that it took nearly three weeks to, for it to start showing itself. And he said we would have played him the week after. Without doubt, you know, crazy, and, yeah. and I feel only right. You got to mention his name, Ben Robinson, as a young lad that oh, died. Oh, the guy that died, yeah. Right, and his mum and dad have gone through the worst thing any parent should go through. Because he got knocked out in a game, carried on playing, died on the pitch. Yeah, got knocked, and it was like the big, like his dad and his mum are just phenomenal. They've mm. battled and they've fought and they've fought, and it's only right, you know. At times when I talk, I don't want to feel like I do injustice to his name you know I just want to try and add to his legacy really it's I, I, I don't know the words to really use because this poor lad who's, who's, who's died has changed so many people's lives mm. and saved so many lives and it's his mum and dad their pure strength to do it that's give myself Alex and stuff and and the same with Dawn Astor and Rachel their dad's passing away with like CTE and stuff like that They've given us like the strength and that to sort of come out, and we've hope what we've done is added to their fight and added to their, you know, their despair and their their loss. You can't talk about a, 
a, a child dying is it's not good it's no. like but i'm trying to think of the words i'm sorry but it's helped a lot of people do you know it's it's just you know no, for know. me it's and, and what they're doing what they're doing is just phenomenal yeah. the strength they're showing because they could walk away from rugby completely and that and now i think hopefully it's really starting to accelerate with us coming out to really help his legacy and his memory i want to talk about something that was in your book that you talk you mentioned just before about the amount of stick that you got you know mothers coming at you on instagram even former pros have come at you and there's been directed at you that you're doing it for the money i guess it's like what i'm doing is trying to give you an opportunity to respond to that if i was doing it for the money you ask my wife this has been the worst thing i've done financially you know you go to having to live completely month to month and shitting yourself you know i'm I'm like anyone i'm I'm the normal worker i was working on sites and stuff like that and suddenly you can't be on sites because if someone else gets injured on site and you're on there, that's a reason for the insurance not to pay that person because I was on site. And then suddenly, because I've come out, I was sort of blagging other jobs a bit, but still I think how many people don't lie about what they do in their job and how they can do it, how good they are. <laughs> yeah. But the different, you know, I was, but then because I've come out, people openly know that I've got memory problems, openly know I can't work the hours I should work. Why would people book me? to go and talk rugby. Yeah, you're not going to get a gig talking about the Lions tour. Uh, exactly. Not World after Cup, this. And World Cup. No, and stuff like that. But it's, And that, since I came out, it's, you know, it's, why would someone do that? And But on the other hand, when I look at it, you know, I look at all these people that are doing the charity work and all this, which is fantastic. People are putting their hand in the pocket. Why should the lad, and there's hundreds of us now that's involved in this in the case, why should we have our hand out for a begging bowl when someone's caused this? But who's caused it? Like, didn't you still signed up though? You still played. The only time you the concussion was talked about was if you were carted off and taken to hospital. You've seen you've seen players, Lewis Moody, get knocked out twice in the two thousand and seven World Cup, falling all over the pitch, and that has happened so many more times before that. And then never looked at for concussion, playing the next week, doing stuff. At what point is the player accountable though for their own health? So you go and get your car serviced, suddenly your wheel and or your car breaks down afterwards because it hasn't been serviced properly. Who fault is that? The guys that serviced the car. Right. I didn't go to medical school. I didn't do that. What I'd done is I learned to play rugby. I was good at that. I trained as hard as I could. The authorities are there to go and find out what they do. That's why people do jobs. Mm. That's why I'm a strong bro. That's why I can dig old well. Some of these doctors can't dig a hole. I didn't turn around in the World Cup final and say to the doc, like the specialist, oh, by the way, I don't want to do this line out. Can you come down and throw the ball for me? That's what I'd say. People are put there and people take big wages and they'll go and do their fancy stuff and they'll go and do, they'll jet around the world, they'll do all this, look at us, we're great, look at all this finance. But it's a duty of care to the people that are involved in the sport. And you got medical advice that said you could keep playing. We never got told not to with head injury. Head injuries weren't talked about. So we, because I got told not to play. I got an independent doctor that said, you shouldn't be playing rugby anymore. And that was, that was in 2000. Yeah. Well, that never happened with us. And you, you ask all the old players. Mm. Let's, you want to make changes, right? So mm. you've got a, so you've created a seven point manifesto for change. Things you want to see happen in the game. I'm going to rip through the headings and you can just tell me what yeah. you want. Honesty. Honesty. Well, we just need research. And we need medical people to actually stand up and and look after the players and be honest about 
the injuries that players are getting and should they be playing or should they not be playing? They should be looked after. Impact reduction. I'm thinking you're going to talk about the... Training. Training. training 100% training. Like in training... And the amount of games that you're playing as well. The amount of games, training, you know, World Rugby has already come out and said, advised, they haven't actually made it 15 minutes a week. We were doing hours, hours and hours a week. Player passports. That's like the annual, you know, scans, making sure. And it's not just the brain, it's the whole body. They should be really looked after, you know. Concussion management. Well, look at the, the HIA. We've got six days. That should never, it should never be six days. Everyone knows that. We should it should be much longer. And also, you know, down in in, in those little bowed environment and certain players, you know, if you've got to take time out, you've got to t- take time out. And we need to look after the players as well. They can't be worried that if they do take two months out, suddenly they're, they're not going to be in a job. You know, there should be a fund there to look after players. Concussion holiday. Well, that's a bit like end of season and everything like that as well. Just so. Everyone gets a refresh every year. Substitutions. You can't have 150 kilo blokes coming on when everyone else is tired and stuff because it's it's just. So you want less substitutions, and pitch side personnel. Pitch like you need independent, 100 percent independent. Do they not already have that? They do, but it needs to be even more. Like because you look at it, the tire. Look, look at what's already been going on with Wales, England under 20s. The doctors just got. You know, you've got to have pure independent because you look at it, they all tie, normally a lot of them still tie into rugby somehow and stuff, but you need someone that's completely away from it. Steve, thank you very much for coming on the show, mate. Cheers, mate. I appreciate it. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.